You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Greg, I have a pitch for you. A beautifully shot, dramatic thriller with sexy movie stars and a bombastic soundtrack that slowly, mysteriously reveals its unique sci-fi premise, all culminating in a thoughtful exploration of relevant themes. Oh, wow, that sounds incredible, actually. That's everything I could ask for from a film. You're describing kind of the perfect movie, to be honest. It's all yours, so long as you don't ask any questions or think about it at all. This almost sounds too good to be true. Wait, am I in a simulation right now? I said don't ask any questions. Alright, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today, we are discussing Don't Worry, Darling, uh, from uh, that year that was, 2022. What a movie. Yeah. uh, I I didn't think I was going to watch this ever, uh, and then Greg suggested we do it for the podcast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, I kind of wish I I, I I spoiled it for myself because I assumed I would never watch it. Uh, and then my partner Amanda watched it without me. And she was like, yeah, you're not missing much. Um, uh, yeah. And then we had to watch it. <laughs> yeah. This movie definitely kind of hits our sweet spot. It got very mediocre reviews. And it feels like a movie that's kind of just half-baked. So kind of right in our... Right in our wheelhouse, really. Mm-hmm. If you go by the Rotten Tomatoes percentage, because it's sitting at um, 33%, which honestly had me expecting a complete train wreck from beginning to end. And it wasn't that. No. it's here's This is almost the tragedy of Don't Worry, Darling. Technically, it is a very good movie. And I mean that in, in like all of the technical aspects of filmmaking, it's mm-hmm. very good. It's well-directed. It's well-acted. It's well-shot. The cinematography is great. The costuming is great. It looks visually spectacular. It's, it's a great film to watch. It's mm-hmm. just that the script wasn't quite there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the, the, the tomato score... It's got a 38% review, but 74% audience score, which partly I just think is like Harry Styles fans upvoting it. <laughs> um, but I also, this was, we were talking about this before, I really liked the movie as I was watching it. I was entertained throughout. I was engaged throughout. Yeah. And then as soon as it was done, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. What the, what the hell did I just, no, cut. And I think if, so an audience member might leave being like, well, I was engaged and entertained for two hours i got my movie worth whereas someone who writes and reviews film for a living has to stop and think about it and it goes god damn it this is nonsense (laughs) so yeah that's how i explained the discrepancy 
the the movie is definitely engaging and i agree it like it grabbed me really quickly and i wanted to see where it was going i was just really disappointed in the destination Mm -hmm. uh it it ends really abruptly and i was like that's that's it that's where this was going i feel kind of let down by that (laughs) i kind of let down is an understatement i felt extremely frustrated (laughs) yeah i didn't i didn't get that i didn't get that feeling uh of being let down necessarily i i guess i felt about the same throughout the throughout the entire thing like uh the 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 twist I had been apprised of the twist before, like Liam, and and it just didn't hit me with a ton of bricks the way that I've noticed a lot of other reviewers it did. Most people I, I've listened to online sort of described it as a great movie right up until the third act. I don't know. I just I don't think there's a I don't think there's a drop in quality, and and like I was willing to let the movie take me where it wanted to go, even if I thought it was like a little silly, um, but. Um, it didn't bother me because I was more interested in like what it was trying to say and mm-hmm. whether it was going to uh, stick the landing in any particular way. Um, does it? No, not <laughs> really. I mean, you could kind of argue that um, maybe it does in some sense, but the third act is um, a little messy and a little compressed. And I think that that sort of undoes a lot of, some of the good work that might have been done earlier on in the movie. Yeah. Scott, was was the twist a reveal for you? Did you did you spoil it for yourself going into it? I did not. Um I, I definitely kind of went into it knowing that it was going to be Stepford Wivesy. Um mm-hmm. but I I didn't know going in that it was a VR twist. So mm-hmm. that did uh surprise me. Well, surprise is not necessarily the right <laughs> word, but you at least didn't know when you hit play that it was actually yes. set in 2023 and not 1950. I mean, I had my suspicions, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I I described it as feeling kind of like a an episode of The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror that would have worked as like a half hour to 45 minute premise, but it got stretched out to two hours and they didn't quite do all the work of building it out. And mm. that's, I, I feel like that's kind of the case. It's, it's an interesting premise that they just didn't quite completely explore to its fullest. And they kind of ended up rushing in the end, an ending that again, may have worked in a shorter episode of television. That's interesting that you yeah. say it was like just maybe should have been compressed because I feel like they spent a lot of effort and a lot of work building it up. They were just building foundations and and struts and and uh, walls that didn't go anywhere. They didn't need to like that episode of The Simpsons when they build Ned Flanders a new house where it's like that's a load bearing <laughs> poster. Like what do you what was any of that for? Why did you do that? Yeah, it's uh, I, let me it's let me time ref- that could have been spent on yeah yeah let to. If I can rephrase that a little bit, maybe it's less that they spent all that time building stuff out so much as they they spent so much time building stuff out that they didn't have time for the climax anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they, and then a lot of it just ended up not being done. Uh, and that's, I think, more kind of what I mean by that. Yeah. I, I, I think I somewhat 
I, I think I disagree, but let's let's set up the movie first, uh, yes, and then we'll get, we get right into it. Too into it. So yeah, of course, Don't Worry Darling uh, came out in 2022, uh, directed by Olivia Wilde, who also uh, appears in the movie, written by Katie Sieberman, who wrote Booksmart, baffling, because that's a great movie, um, Carrie Van Dyke, uh, Shane Van Dyke, um, <laughs> I love that Greg added the, the note, they wrote Titanic 2, that's not real, <laughs> what? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> There's a Titanic 2? There's a yeah. Titanic 2? I've watched it. It's terrible. It's like a, it's almost like an asylum movie. Damn. Or it might actually be an asylum movie. That's I'm not like sure. famously the one movie you can't make a sequel to. <laughs> what? Which is, I think, why they did it. Okay. I guess I got to go look into it. That was just news to me, literally, so the, in reading our notes here. Those two cats, I think, are, are like, it's they get story by credits. So, like, um, Katie Silverman's like the screenwriter. Mm. So, I think, like, they're just like producers who got, like, they had a couple ideas or whatever and they get their credits in. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, the cast, of course, uh, stars uh, Florence Pugh as Alice, Harry Styles as Jack, Chris Pine as Frank, Olivia Wilde as Bunny. Uh, Kiki Lane as Margaret, Gemma Chan as Shelley, Frank's wife. Uh, Nick Kroll was in it. I was I also really was excited to see <laughs> Nick Kroll in a movie, but too bad it's this one. Um, why don't we Why don't we go right? Because there's there's so much to unpack with this thing. Uh, that I'd I'd love to just get our audience caught up. If you haven't seen it, also spoilers. Um, but you know this show. That's how it works. Uh, anyway, let's go to the the plot summary. Frank has built something truly special. What he's created out here, it's it's a different way, a better way. Once unfamiliar faces, strangers, one and all, now one brave family. I was here when you got here? Yeah, you're sleeping in the bedroom. That's good, just breathe. Most of my patients have had nightmares. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We met on a train to Boston. Boston. You dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? Thank you for your loyalty. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, world. the world. They're lying about everything. I've been waiting for someone like you, someone to challenge me. Like a good girl. Amidst the arid sun of the Mojave Desert lies the idyllic town of Victory. During the day, Alice cooks and cleans her perfect home while her perfect husband works for a big company claiming to change the world. At night, they drink and play games. Their favorite game is kitchen table sex. Alice is happy, it seems, until she witnesses a plane crash in the distant mountains. In heels and a dress, she hikes into the desert in search of the crash, but instead discovers a strange round building. When she investigates, she blacks out. What happened to the plane? Don't worry, darling, it won't come up again. She awakes back in her perfect bed, confused and disoriented. After being gaslit by both husband and doctor, a series of independently bizarre events leads Alice to question the real purpose of the town of Victory and her existence within it. When she confronts the town's extremely handsome and sexy leader with dreamy eyes you can just stare into forever and ever and... Wait, sorry, what, where was I? Uh, right, she confronts Frank, and her world unravels, and it becomes clear she is trapped and must escape. Before the break, you, you were mentioning that you don't necessarily think the movie 
leads to anything. And I think I disagree. It may it may not be necessarily the most satisfying uh, thing that it leads to, but like each of the main women characters in the movie sort of, to me, kind of represent a different way in which women are controlled by the patriarchy. You know, like uh, Florence Pugh has uh, a controlling boyfriend slash husband. Not really clear which it is in in the in the dream world. It's the husband. I'm not sure whether that's the case in the in the real world. I, um, I'm pretty sure they were married in the real world, but yeah, yeah. Um, Gemma Chan's character, who is the one that's um, uh, in a relationship with with Frank, the the cult leader. Um, she's, she's so bought into the system that, that she wants to, you know, control it herself kind of thing. Right. Like, so she's, she's sort of upholding the patriarchy so that she can get as much power from it as she possibly can. And then there is Olivia Wilde's character who, um, is getting some, kind of benefit just sort of like rolling with the punches with the patriarchy and just using it um using its sort of devices to you know get something out of it um for her own benefit or whatever and like those those stories more or less come to a head like Gemma chan you know in the end kills frank and you know takes her place at the top um, Olivia Wilde has to come to, you know, eventually comes to terms with the reality or the the sort of wall that she's put up around herself, I guess, and sort of like the the mirage that she sort of bought herself into, um, and comes to terms with that, you know, when she reveals to Florence Pugh what's going on, and like Florence Pugh eventually sort of like finds a way to escape. Now, like that doesn't mean like. All this is great, but it does go somewhere, is my argument. I see. I, I, I don't. I'm glad you got that out of it. And I don't doubt what you just described is exactly what the filmmakers were going for. But especially in the case of Frank's wife, Gemma Chan, I, there, that I did not see that in the text. I can extrapolate that because I can assume that was the intention. Um, and again, I'm glad you, you, you got that, but I, I, of all the unanswered questions that this movie leaves you with, and there are many, the thing I had the probably the biggest beef with was Gemma Chan's character uh, uh, stabbing Frank, stabbing um, Chris Pine, and going, you stupid man, it's my turn now, and that's the last we see of her, and that's the mm-hmm. last we see of him. That, to me, was the, the tipping point of me no longer enjoying this movie and being... <laughs> pretty pissed off about it to the point where I kept expect when uh, Alice is running up the hill uh, to, to, to try to escape and the goons are chasing her. I fully expected her to be like the last person she's got to get through is Gemma Chan's character. Mm-hmm. I, ex- I was expecting it. And then when she didn't, I'm like, okay, so that was literally nothing. That was like, I, I, I don't want to say I disagree. Cause again, I think that was the intention for sure. Um, and I'm glad you got that out of there, but of all the, None of these characters have meaningful arcs. Gemma Chan's character more so than any of them has has a nothing burger of an arc. So 
Um, but I'm getting already worked up. I'm getting all heated because <laughs> uh, I, 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 I do want to compliment this movie on a number of things, uh, specifically that on paper, um, we touched on this in the, in the pitch, on paper, this movie has everything. This had so much potential. And I think the thing I liked the most about it was its potential. Uh, it could have been a modern classic with a premise to rival the Truman Show, with a twist to rival the usual suspects, and a poignant, the- you know, uh, themes and ideas to rival, you know, Persepolis or the Stepford Wives or any, you know, feminist masterpiece. It All the pieces were there, and the second they start to overlap with each other, it, it mushes not, cla- you know... They don't. They don't click together in any way whatsoever. Um, so I do like what this movie could have been. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I think that's. I think that's why I kind of gave it more or less a positive review on when I wrote my letterbox review. It's just like I was. I, I was down for what the movie was trying to say, even in, even if it didn't necessarily uh, come together. And like I said in that review, it's like it's like the problem is like the intentionality of the different <laughs> devices like in the movie weren't quite there. For example, and I, I know we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff, but like the the airplane that essentially kicks everything off. There's an airplane that crashes that leads Florence Pugh to go out into the de- a desert, a place that she's told is dangerous and that she cannot leave the safety of the town. Uh, she goes out to help whoever has crashed in the desert uh, and then runs into, I don't know what we want to call that. No, I guess it's called the exit in the, in the movie, right? Like, um, that's how to get out of the simulation. But like the plane, as we said in the, in the trail in the plot summary is like, it doesn't, it doesn't come back in any particular way whatsoever, and um, there's there's earthquakes, and and those don't have some sort of come you know callback later on. There's um, there's very strange things that happen to Florence Pugh, like she she gets squished by the 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 pane of glass as she's wa- you know uh, washing it. Uh, there's so many things that are not paid off there's uh the uh wrapping the saran wrap around her head there's everything to do with the neighbor all the 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 neighbor who's already kind of half woke um uh, struggling to to make sense of of the world uh so her slitting her throat her falling the, the community gaslighting the fact that she slit her throat and fell um the mirror stuff all the stuff with the mirrors what the like everyone talks about the airplanes and the earthquakes going nowhere, the mirror stuff doesn't go anywhere. Like literally, the only the only hint that not is that everything is not as it seems that we're in a simulation is the eggshells. I dug the eggshells. That actually hints that you're in a simulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The eggshells are literally the only ones that do any of that work. How about this? How about eyes? the The town is shaped like an eye. Yeah. The there's Every time she goes through uh, the exit or is having some kind of hallucination, there's a ton of uh, like you know either you see the iris of an eye or you see the uh, the dancers forming a, a circle with their legs that that their legs mm-hmm. themselves look like the iris of an eye. There's lots of sort of like references to eyes, but I don't. I'm not 
entirely certain what that's meant to oh, I just think represent the, like the v, the VR machine pries your eyes open like uh, Clockwork Orange. I guess, but like if that's the case, it's so that's lame. <laughs> you know, if that's like Wait, that's, that's the sweet, symbol. That's the one I had the least amount of problem with. Like the because like crash and the yeah. No, I, I don't know. It just it yeah. just feels like it. Like if it's just if all it is is just like it's like oh or or like how I interpret it, it's like oh she needs to wake up or something like that, right? But it's just like it feels like they spent so much time. Um, using that symbology that it, it needed to have much more weight. Yeah. You know. Yeah, same with the mirrors. Scott, what do you... I d- have nothing to add at this time. Yeah, <laughs> you, that's fair. You've, you've been doing some great back and forth, and I was just sure. kind of letting it happen. Because, yeah, I, as I started going through the, like, the things that are wrong with this movie, I sort of realized you can file each of the, like grievances and unanswered questions into stuff about the sci-fi premise that goes unanswered or doesn't make sense stuff about the slow reveal of the mystery that goes unanswered or doesn't make any sense and the building to the overall themes that go unanswered doesn't make any sense incomplete character arcs and it's like kind of fun to like because a lot has been said about this movie already on the internet and like each one of those you can just file it under one of those headers because there's like the obvious like other stuff like wouldn't they notice a young white surgeon woman go missing how did uh this incredible ai technology end up in the hands of like 72 discord moderators okay so Uh, this is all the stuff that like i really uh, like i've i've seen a lot of people make comments about that kind of stuff and i really don't care yeah me too (laughs) like it's i like not care yeah, it's like it's like oh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't somebody notice that like this this hotshot doctor is has gone missing? And it's like I don't know, like I can kind of headcanon that like yeah, you know that he if they're that, willing to he, kill the men who sign up for this project, they're willing to help fake her death. Yeah, I I agree. All that cinema sin stuff is like easy pickings. Yeah, there is like much more fundamental flaws with this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you felt that the characters, the female characters had an arc. I felt like it was real, you know, just like, um, <laughs> arc is a strong s- word. <laughs> I don't know if I don't, I didn't, I don't think I said arc, but yeah, they, I did, I did like, yeah. But I, yeah. I said this in last night in Soho. It's like, Oh, the real villain is other women. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think it's maybe, um, I, I in, in this case, uh, which I, you know, wasn't the case in uh, um, last night in Soho. I, th- I think there was more purpose to having having women be the instrument of their own oppression, right? Fair. Um, you know, if it, it it didn't it didn't come off as sort of like um, distasteful. I think the way that it did in, in last night in Soho. Fair. It's um, it's interesting that you say that you don't care about. Some of the some of the sci-fi stuff that just I guess doesn't forgive. quite add up. I can forgive it. Well, I, I was more referring to Greg's comment. Oh, okay, um, because there is some of it that, like, you don't even have to really scratch to make you go, "Wait, what's up with that?" And the biggest thing for me are the plane crash and the earthquakes, because this is a virtual world. What's going on that's causing that? Why would that mm-hmm. be included? Why would you include something? that might ultimately result in a failure of the simulation. Why is Mm -hmm. there a plane crash at all? That doesn't make sense to me. Why are there earthquakes at all? It doesn't make sense to me. 
Um, yeah, like those are those are questions that the movie is 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 intentionally placing in your head mm-hmm. and then not answering, and then not it's, it, like it, it, that. That to me is like slightly different than like than like how does how do how does he keep Florence Pugh alive? Yeah, you yeah. know, you know, like that's not a that's not a question that yeah, the I, movie is positing, right? Yeah, so like can, that doesn't it doesn't really matter, you know. It's like it's you know whatever she he he you sh- he put some water in her mouth. That's good enough for me, you know. Yeah, like maybe you, know, you could have done it in a different way, but the reason that it's done that way is to show is to show you that he's he's how irresponsible and how little he cares. Right, because he's just like he's just giving her a little bit of water, and it's kind of like grotesque the way that it happens. So it's like mm-hmm. it's done with like intention, and yeah. The but conversely, the glitches in the Matrix—that is stuff that that actually does critically yes. affect mm-hmm. the plot of the movie and does not get resolved. Absolutely. And th- therein lies one of the one of the things that perplexed me at the end, like. What's going on with this virtual world that there would be those flaws? Because there's no indication that the virtual world is anything other than perfect, except mm-hmm. when it's not. Yes. And there's no explanation for why. hinges on that. Yeah. Oh, good. Someone has put <laughs> some thought into it. And it wasn't the screenwriter, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I will. I, I, uh, I do want to say that the, the scene where... They're sitting around the dinner table, followed by uh, Jack betraying her and her being dragged out of the car. And maybe some people disagree. The then reveal after that, that it's all a simulation, that 20 minute chunk, I quite liked. It's it's probably about the only part of this I keep in my fixes. Uh, I thought the confrontation was really, really well executed. Um, I also loved the way she's like, please, I'm not crazy. You have to believe me because any of these movies where someone is like, please, please, you got to believe me. I always get frustrated that they're not articulating themselves very well. And I'm like, well, don't say it like that. And I realized most movies can't happen if the person really does a good job of articulating their sanity uh, or like in old when she's like, you need to believe me. I'm a museum director. Uh, <laughs> I loved that because I'm like, she said it the way she should have said it. And I loved that. Um, yeah, that whole scene worked worked really well for me. I don't know if you guys agree, but. I think so. I, I think the only bit about it that maybe caught me off guard was it like, maybe I'm mistaken, but does Frank not imply that he's slept with with Alice? Oh, I thought he was. I thought he was referring to when he caught them in his bedroom at the caught party. them fucking in his bedroom. Oh, uh, okay. So, I, okay, I misinterpreted. That's how I read. Good. That's how I read yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It was just which me also that scene kind of goes nowhere. Like, I mean, I guess it goes to the dinner scene, and it's a way that he can like leverage um, mm-hmm. the fact that she's a liar, um, or like try to implicate her in being untruthful. Um, but yeah, the scene where he early on sees her and Harry Styles having sex in his house. And she sees him. Harry Styles doesn't really only serves, yeah, to to sort of add some some tension to the to some salt in the dinner scene. Yeah, and that's kind of it too. Like again, like it just doesn't it doesn't you know they're interesting little tidbits and stuff like that, but they just don't add up to enough. Yeah, you know? I'm the thing with Frank that disappoints me is that there's no good payoff to mm-hmm. that exchange. Like she confronts him at the dinner table and loses. Like she, she loses that that 
that match with him. But yeah. she never then gets an opportunity to beat him. And you know what's interesting? She actually loses to his wife. Like, he's sitting there, he's taking it, he's giving it back, and then she's finally, like, the wife is, like, enough. And yeah. she's the one who gets the final word, which, again, when she stabs him later in the movie and is like, you dumb idiot, I'm taking over, I'm like, oh, then she's the mastermind. Um, but there's no payoff to that either. There's no payoff to that either. So, like, whoever won that dinner fight scene, there's no round two. There's yeah. no round two with Frank, there's no round two with the wife. And arguably, there should have been a round two with both of them. I would, yeah. I would say. And I would have loved to have seen Jack um, have to answer to himself, or at least yeah. maybe the other men as a proxy for his own poor choices. Because yeah. it is implied heavily that he loves her deeply, and he's, like, very misguided. And so we also, he doesn't get an arc. He never has to, like, learn his lesson or atone yeah. for his sins. He, he, he just never gets clubbed over the head with a cocktail glass and dies. Dies, yeah. Which then yeah. begs the question, what was that about how women can die and men can't? Like, there's another dumb sci-fi cinema sins thing. Like, <laughs> I I think uh, the their the relationship between Jack and Alice, I think, is has some reasonable flaws. Uh, uh, like, for one thing, like what Jack is doing to her is is pretty heinous, and the way he mm -hmm. like when you get to see what he's done in the real world, which is like, he's kind of just like a really sniveling, selfish, unredeemable asshole in the real mm -hmm. world. So, and I like, I guess they're setting up us to hate him a lot, but, but then the, then we turn around and Alice has trouble letting him go. Yeah. And I just like, when you've set him up to be, that much of a cartoonish villain you've kind of like undermined that quite a bit because i don't i don't i don't buy that she would have to let him go i think she would be yeah. quite happy to do you, so you need yeah. to either have her uh you need to either make him cartoonishly bad and make it so that she's okay letting him go when the time comes or you have to make him a little softer yeah. Uh, and you know, and you, really, really hammer in that, like, a bad person got a bad idea in his head. And he's he's doing what he thinks is right, but his logic is flawed. And he yeah. needs to be shown the error of his ways. Do you remember that scene in a in the Truman Show where his they're standing on the pier and his best friend is like, Truman, buddy, I hear you. I do. But if everyone is in on it, then I'd have to be in on it. And I'm your best friend, Truman. So it can't be like he would like the Harry Styles needed a monologue like that. That sort mm -hmm. of paints exactly what you just said, Scott, where he's shown to be a well-meaning asshole with a bad idea, like a, a bad person who does love this woman. Like, yeah, he, he loves her. But Frank has got he he felt emasculated. He felt small. Frank got in his head with his YouTube videos and his podcast and planted this seed in, in a vulnerable guy who then did a terrible thing. And which is a very timely piece of, of, uh, of storytelling. Yeah. 
which I do want to mention, I re- we are three white men talking about a movie about the patriarchy, specifically where the villain has a podcast about <laughs> men talking. Um, we did, ha- uh, our, our dear friend of the show, Glenna Showalter, was slated to be our guest and was not able to join us. Uh, so just if anyone listening is like, let's hear fucking three guys talk about this. <laughs> potential feminist masterpiece we we had every intention of including glenna in this conversation and uh at the last minute was not able to join so just yeah. want to clear that up because the villain is a white man with a podcast it's kind of weird that we're talking about it. we are we are aware uh, of the irony thank you yeah, I, the optics I, are <laughs> the one thing i do really appreciate about this movie is that it does it does broach this sort of like era of snake oil philosophy that mm-hmm. we're yeah. living through you know, I, 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 you know, I feel like more movies need to address the Jordan Petersons of the world a lot more mm-hmm. directly, um, because you know what they're what they're doing is um, is is quite toxic, and I th- I think yeah. rather villainous to be perfectly frank about it. <laughs> like, ah, Frank, got it. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah. So the, uh, I, I'm I, I did I did like that, and and like that's the thing about this movie is like there's 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 so many like uh, little pieces that I can kind of really enjoy. And, and because like Scott said off the top, like it's so well made. Um, it really, it really got me through a lot of like its shortcomings mm-hmm. um, without being too upset. Like I've watched a lot of movies for this podcast where I wanted to shut it off <laughs> right quick, you know? And uh, this one uh, wasn't, it was an easy watch as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, this one, it was, it, I was interested to see where it went, as I said. Like, from, from start to finish, I was there, and then it ended, and I was like, that's the ending. Huh, okay. Yeah. I think that's why I was so mad about it, because, yeah, I was entertained throughout and then felt very disappointed in the payoffs. Um, mm-hmm. To circle back to what you're saying about those those toxic villains and in, in movies, I, I do, I want that too, and I think that's, this movie had the potential to to do that, to to shine a light on the Andrew Tates of the world and, and paint them as a villain. And it just really squandered that opportunity um, in a way that like, I think I'm trying to think about another movie that has tried to play that angle. And the best I could think of is Ghostbusters answer the call um, <laughs> of like a wormy internet. So uh, I, I, I love the podcast behind the bastards and they did a really good couple episodes on Andrew Tate. And just recently. Uh, yep. Very recently. I highly recommend them. I did not realize how insidious, and villainous that guy's worldview is um and i would love to have seen a movie like this really put him in in a villainous light uh if not maybe a a a feminist sci-fi drama like this even just as a as a modern bond villain um we're getting a little Mm -hmm. off topic here but i think i think you could make a great modern bond villain off a a sniveling tech nerd who's riling up all the young men in the world to hate women and fuck the system um yeah it's we're we're overdue for jordan peterson as movie villain and i i can't wait for the movie that gets it right because a couple movies have tried and and failed yeah off to fixes i guess yeah, let's get into let's get into the fixes then. Uh, I think I, uh, I'm excited. I think we all have a different approach because yeah, this movie had tons of potential, uh, and it is absolutely salvageable. So we'll hear from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network and fix this movie. Calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. In case you haven't heard of Story Hive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. 
this year they're celebrating their 10th anniversary with their biggest edition yet. The StoryHive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you're passionate about. You could get $20,000 in production funding, training and mentorship, and distribution on Telesoptic TV and Stream Plus. If you live in BC or Alberta and you have an idea for a short documentary, now is the time to send in your pitch. Send in your application by February 28th at storyhive.com apply. Your story, your narrative. In a world where boring dinners and ungrateful children make cooking almost unbearable. Whoa, that's a little too dramatic. Let's try this again. I'm Heather Dyer. I'm Erin Wager. And I'm Sarah Somasundaram. This is Three Kitchens, a podcast about home cooking. Whether you like cooking or you just like eating, join us to talk about food. We'll have new episodes of Three Kitchens every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Three Kitchens. They'll tickle your funny bone, wet your appetite, and warm your heart. Did that guy think he was Bruce Wayne? <laughs> I kind of liked it, actually. He made us sound super badass. <laughs> Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Don't worry, darling. We will fix this movie. Uh, who wants Who wants to start? Because from our chat early on, I think we've all got a different approach. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll give this a little bit of a shot just because it's very small and maybe it'll be like a piece that you guys can kind of like move into your fixes. But um, I was just thinking about like Olivia Wilde's character and how at the end she reveals that she has, she's been aware that she's in a simulation the entire time. And the reason that she kind of, uh, upholds this or, or, or enjoys being in the simulation is that she has lost her kids and uh, within the simulation, her kids have been simulated for her. Right. Um, I think like that kind of makes her a really interesting character and, and, and sort of like underutilized um, because of it, because um like her husband doesn't like have anything to do with the kids. And that sort of like makes me wonder like, well, what's his relationship uh, to the children? Right. And like, does he, does he not care about them at all? Or like, is he, you know, are they not his kids and, or something like that? Um, and I think there's a real interesting opportunity to, to make that relationship between the two of them really dramatic. Um, and also to parallel Florence Pugh's character a little bit more. You notice early on in the movie, like her kids are running around and things like that, but like she doesn't really pay much attention to them. Yeah, um, she just drinks and complains about them most. Yeah, and, yeah, and gossips, she's like yeah. somewhat dismissive of them. And I, I think that it would be very um, interesting if, like, um, maybe she was even a little bit more dismissive of them. You know, in a in a way that sort of like kind of tweaks uh, Alice that like Florence Pugh's character that like something's a little off here. It can be one of those little sort of like small breadcrumbs of like you're in this mm -hmm. idyllic place and yet this woman hates her children or something like that, right? And I think th the way that that can play out is that um, Nick Kroll, who plays um, Olivia Wilde's husband, 
he he can like in the real world they had uh they had kids and then they they lost they lost their kids and uh, in their in their grief and stuff like that like he like he kind of like moved on a little bit f- faster than she did she was she was stuck in you know in depression and in his in his mind like he was going to use this simulation as a way of like helping her you know like it's his 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 way of trying to like make things better for her and then he like he wants to he wants to simulate the kids for her, but for for Olivia Wilde's character like that's actually torture like putting those kids in Ooh. in front of her all the time and that can be sort of like a real like a confrontation that they can have towards the end so that you can put a cap on that relationship yeah. right like it's torture no, and she doesn't he, know why yeah yeah well either that or she like she she understands that she's in the simulation she oh, like, okay. but like she's been she's dismissive of the of the children because she doesn't want them around and in the end she tells Nick Kroll's character like you weren't helping me you've been torturing me with this the entire time you know and like that that's it's another interesting way of like uh dealing with the patriarchy issue where like you know man knows best like i like i'm going to i'm going to help uh, but i'm not going to do it in a way that um I, you know i i'm not going to do it in a way that's act, like actually talking to you and figuring out how i can help or or whatever i'm just going to do the thing right i guess I it think... does have to be a bit of like um oh, sorry go ahead scott no you you first oh it has to be a bit of a like i thought this is what i wanted but because if it's torture from the outset. She'd be like, well, get me out of here. So it is maybe a little bit like I, I trusted you. You said this would help. I thought this is what I wanted, but well, and it's also it's also possible. She doesn't feel like she can escape. Right. Mm. Like she's a, she has grokked to the fact that she's in a simulation, but she's like, she feels powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that I like the idea that like she's been she's been essentially kidnapped the way that Alice has, but she's kind of, she's figured out what's going on. Like she understands she she understands that she's in that simulation, right? But it's she's kind of playing along. It's interesting you use the word kidnap there, um, which is objectively what these husbands have done to their wives. But there's a line that the doctor says. Uh, during the scene where he's doing the, uh, I suppose the entrance interview for, uh, for Jack, where he says, your chosen wife, mm. mm-hmm. which strongly implies that some of the wives in the simulation aren't actually married to their husband yeah. in the simulation <laughs> and, and have been actually abducted, like not just like spousal abduction, but are like women who were abducted by men. And that's not paid off and i feel like it should be so i like the idea of alice at first being told she's crazy and the women kind of going along with it and then as the third act rolls around and things start to unravel i think more of the women should start to believe her and there should be like a general revolt i don't think it should just be alice that is my that is my fix (laughs) hooray other (laughs) side of the reveal um yeah yeah, the last uh, we see of those women shouldn't just be them looking uneasily around. They they should they should also like be on board at that point. And the they last thing we should see of the men shouldn't be them going, "It's fine, it's fine, don't worry, darling." Um, it should be them groveling and sniveling on their knees <laughs> for forgiveness and their lives. 
Um, as the simulation comes crashing down around them, actually. Because yeah. I'd like to slip in a little change that I think might help yeah. resolve some of the issues with like the plane and with the earthquakes. Um, I had originally said kind of up front before we started recording, I don't know that the VR is working for me. And the more I think about it, maybe it does, but maybe it needs to be a little more immersive than that. Maybe instead about full virtual reality, they should be stuck in an augmented reality. So they have been physically taken to a place out Ooh. in a remote area, Ooh. but they're being like, they're, they're rigged up and they're seeing this idyllic fifties world. They just aren't aware that they're in the modern world in this little commute out in the middle of nowhere. So, <laughs> and there, and therein lies the opportunity for a plane crash to have attracted attention because it breaches oh. the AR somehow. Ooh, and, elegant. and there's a reason why they shouldn't go too far because they would break, they would leave the area that the AR is working in. And like, I think that that would be a very easy solution that would also solve even the questions the movie doesn't want to resolve, like, how are they eating? How are they staying alive? Well, because they're eating and staying alive. They just don't know that they're not in this perfect 50s, like, simulation. That's sick. That's I love that a lot, Scott. That's that's it, the same twist, but more elegant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So they're just <laughs> seeing this world. And I think that the part of the, the glitches in the Matrix are coming because the women are stopping are no longer buying into it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it's partially sustained by their own brainwashing and their own suspension of disbelief. And as Alice starts to see the cracks, the, the simulation starts to fail for her. And then that can lead into the third act where more of the women start to realize that something's wrong and the whole simulation starts to fall apart. Basically. Sick. I love that a lot. You have tightened up what I was already going to pitch. Excellent. What I, We're what all I dovetailing keep, together. We're all dovetailing love, together. Dovetailing together, yeah. Because <laughs> what I was going to pitch keeps the twist, but what I'm about to say works just as fine with your version, possibly better um, with, with what I'm going with. So yeah, like I said, I love the confrontation. I love Jack's betrayal where they drag her out of the car, and then we, we're, we find out the twist, yada, yada, yada. That whole chunk, move it up. 20 minutes in the movie have it come at about the true halfway mark not the hour 10 hour 15 have it come a little earlier and then all my fixes work out from there um keep all that great it's a simulation we talk about the cracks in the matrix the glitches in the system the earthquakes are not a glitch the plane crash is not a glitch the mirrors are not a glitch the the only thing that shows a glitch in the matrix is the eggshell thing so I basically have a you cut all the things that are not anything <laughs> that are just nonsense uh, and you replace it with glitches in the matrix. Some suggestions I have um, the, uh, the she has that scene with the when she gets off the trolley to go chase the plane crash and the guy's like this is as far as I go can't go any farther. That guy's an NPC with only so many canned lines and instead of her running off into the desert to chase a plane crash. He's like, hey, hey, you have a great day there, sweetheart. And she goes, you know, please don't don't call me sweetheart. Because this also can reinforce some of the patriarchal themes. Sure. Don't call me sweetheart, please. Just I'm asking you not to. Okay, whatever you say there, sweetheart. No, seriously. Like, I need you to not say that to me, please. Okay there, sweetheart. You have a good day there. Um, and it's just like, why are you being so fucking weird, dude? Um, one of those first ones. Then the eggshell thing hits. I think that neighbor... 
uh, who's sort of, you know, realizes something is wrong but can't articulate why and is being told she's crazy. Uh, I think instead of her slitting her throat, falling off uh, the, 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 the building, having a freak out at the party, uh, I think she, exactly what you said, Scott, about the um, uh, the plane crash is, is an accident that mm-hmm. they really witness. In the notes I had here, she has some kind of accident in the home that has no consequences. Like she accidentally lights her garden on fire and then there's the gardens back the next day and she cannot figure out why and is driving her nuts. And then Florence Pugh starts having the same things like, why is there no eggs in the eggshell unless I crack it directly over the frying pan? Um, I had, I had another one. Oh, her, when she goes to steal her neighbor's file, out of the doctor's briefcase in the movie, it's all blanked out. It should just be empty. It should just be like, well, there's no file. Cause why would they keep a file of a crazy person in the virtual reality? Yeah. Um, so yeah, all those things need to actually be showing cracks in the matrix and not just head scratching. Like why are there earthquakes? Scratch, scratch, scratch. Um, any of them that are red herrings need to push towards suggesting that Frank and the victory project are manipulating everyone. Because uh, as I kind of said, the simulation as a twist thing is inherently easy to guess. You can even kind of peg it from the trailer if it wasn't spoiled for you outright. But the real twist is that they're not all being manipulated by Frank. The men are manipulating the women. And Frank um, is manipulating the men, arguably. A li- yeah, but not in the same, not in the, the kidnapped virtual reality way. Yeah. He's not yeah, manipulating. Sure. <laughs> You're right, yes. So but augmented no. reality in our version. Augmented, yes. Um, so any any of those red herrings should be, should have the audience thinking, what's Frank doing? What's the Victory Project doing? Is it nerve gas? Is it is he got everyone under his thumb? And then the 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 real twist is that you know the men are in on it. So great, that's how you get to the table scene. When we come back after her re uh, education, they I, they try to hint at it. I think they were going for this, but some modern pop song in her head keeps like being like no this i remember a song that was like written after 1950 like why do i know the lyrics to like to like mad world like a virgin yeah like a virgin or something right (laughs) um and this and it finally like undoes the re-education and in the movie that kind of happens but she's like she has that moment of like wait what the fuck and then clubs harry styles over the head with a cocktail glass instead she should finally be like awoken and start, like you said, actively rallying the women to, to the to the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, it, again, way easier to do if it's an augmented reality, but even in the virtual reality, rally the women, get them all agreeing that this is some bullshit, so have some of those poor foresight by the men who programmed this, like, oh, women will never ask questions about that. Like, use some of the the systems of control against the men because it was the other big problem i had with the ending is she just escapes she just they 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 lapse control for just long enough for her to wriggle out yeah she doesn't learn to take control for herself she doesn't subvert the patriarchy she doesn't flip the script she just gets out of the constraints yeah and it would be a more meaningful arc if she alone or with other women organized found the strength to overcome as opposed to just get out of the bad situation and so that is what the third act is her and the other women organizing essentially uh and then it 
all culminates in a showdown where all the women are armed with glitches in the Matrix. All of the men are sniveling and groveling for their lives or freaking out because they're going to die, right? Uh, And then they all escape. Um, Or maybe they all have to stay for some reason and that's when she wriggles out. But the my my biggest beef with this movie is that her escape is nothing more than a literal escape, and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It's not part of her arc. Yeah, she needs to. She needs to overcome it. Yeah, not just so. not just escape from it. I I agree with you, and and I I feel like that can also be partly facilitated by adding in that second confrontation with both uh frank and shelly which we didn't get in this movie in the third act that round two yeah in the third act she should get an opportunity to finally like put frank in his place and Mm -hmm. put shelly in her place basically yeah one or the other frankly (laughs) arguably both i would say both yeah because it the movie it could be such a great metaphor for class struggle as well if the two wealthy people who run it like she you know Shelly benefits from the patriarchy as much as Frank does but they're both upper class you know they control the town they control the economy you could even start ringing some like class solidarity uh themes out of this as well as patriarchal themes by by having the final confrontation be against both of them because the table scene was against both of them the table that's what I, where I was going to go with that is the table scene is against both of them and in the which is one of the reasons why Shelley betraying Frank in the in the movie as is came out of nowhere because there's there's no there's nothing that builds up to that moment um and in that's this, what the earthquakes were about <laughs> and in, in this in this version it's the it's rewritten that she is all in as his partner she gets off on having as much control over these women as as Frank does and and so having an opportunity for Alice and the other women to tear her down as well. I mean, that works. Yeah. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to go in, but I, in my notes as well, what if she's the one with the AI kids and bunny is as duped as the rest of them? Alice um, because, or Shelly? Uh, Shelly. And that oh. was her reason for like agreeing to be in paradise was like, I get to have my kids back. I helped Frank build this. I get my kids. All of you shut up or you'll kill my babies. Um, I don't know that it's a, it's a great fix. That's why I wasn't too hung up on it. But as I was typing, I was like, oh, yeah, that actually kind of. I kind of like her as like being incredibly selfish. Is like, yeah. you know, if they're, yeah. I mean, if they're, yeah. If they're both, if both of those characters are sort of like <gasps> at the, the height of the, the class, like they should definitely um, both be, uh, as close to mustache twirling as possible. Then what if if Bunny has the AI kids when Alice she's the like she's the last true believer in the neighborhood. Alice finally shakes her out of it and she goes, "Oh my god, my kids are dead." Like it would be devastating to find out like, "Oh, you've these AI kids are like when all her memories come rushing back." Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She has to reckon with the fact that like she's been parenting AI kids. But maybe then she's like, oh, I guess that explains why I just drink and make fun of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hate, do kind of like like Greg's take on it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- I think the thing about this and like ha- being like a I've, I've talked to 
Aaron about this and like being parents of a lost child. Like one of the things that she said she appreciated was like, like Olivia Wilde's character wasn't that wasn't just like she didn't dissolve dissolve into like a uh, mm, a puddle of of grief or whatever. She kind of liked the take on that. So I like the way I was approaching it was trying to like you know somewhat preserve that uh, a little bit that uh, you know that she still you know has a lot of lot of agency in in the way that she's um, gone about um, dealing with the the simulation yeah I think that's valid and definitely a, a perspective that you and Aaron can bring that that the rest of us maybe can't so. yeah yeah <laughs> for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah not many people again but yeah yeah I think uh, I think we did it um, yeah we've definitely we've tightened some screws we'll, we'll say that <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, feel. there's a lot. There's a lot to go over. It's it's such a, it's a really interesting movie. I think that's the that's the what at the end of the day that's the thing that I think I like about it the most is like, I'll watch this over you know any like popcorn slop any day of the week just because like I you know I spent so much time after having watched it just sort of thinking about it and thinking about what it was trying to accomplish and stuff like that. It was just like you know it at least it, at least. It, tickled me in that particular way yeah See, I'd, I'd rather oh good sorry i, I would ahead. rather a movie that makes me think than a movie that just kind of washes over me that's for sure See, and i guess that's where i disagree i would rather watch some slucky popcorn stuff like morbius <laughs> that i know is stupid because this i felt let down by i i felt a deep disappointment in the potential that was squandered that made me much more frustrated than just like watching something like Morbius where I'm like, well, I knew what I was signing up for. I'm the <laughs> asshole who sat there for two hours and watched Morbius of my own accord. I have no one to blame but myself. Whereas this, I was deeply invested in 90% of this movie and it couldn't have let me down. I, I felt cucked by this movie. Like I really, it it was infuriating how disappointing it was that I, 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 have a hard time recommending it to people i i've not since rise or uh yeah rise of skywalker where i've I've been so disappointed by such a half-baked sloppy movie that was brimming with potential um whereas i didn't expect miracles from morbius and so i wasn't surprised that it was nothing (laughs) like I, I, to that, I would just say uh, better to love than lost than it never loved at all. <laughs> like I would rather, <laughs> I would rather watch something that that was engaging and interesting and then left me disappointed than watching uh, fucking Morbius, which I did not enjoy <laughs> one single bit, and I will I, never I return to this again. Is, this is the <laughs> thing we have to agree to disagree on, because <laughs> um, yeah, it it I I was I was devastated by how pointless this movie was <laughs> i here's here's my take on it um nobody first of all nobody goes into making a film expecting the movie is going to be bad with very few exceptions um at most the 99 percent of people who make a film who act in a film who mm-hmm. edit a film who light a film who direct a film don't expect that it's going to make it to the final cut and be like oh this is this is birdemic like uh most most people aren't expecting that yeah um and to me, it's almost more interesting to see a movie where it's it's so well executed, but something is wrong and try to untangle what that is, as opposed to something where there were so many bad decisions along the way where it's like, oh, well, 
I mean, someone halfway through this should have seen where this was going and pulled the plug. Like, I I would I would rather in the end see a don't worry darling and try to try to figure out what happened as opposed to watch a Morbius and know what happened. <laughs> like <laughs> fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think I think any movie that has like a an earnest attempt and fails is like yeah. I think I, there's always value in that in the sense that like it, it can teach you uh, uh, something about film you know like that's that's why I watch like bad movies and and like good bad movies the ones were like like the room and stuff like that where someone was earnestly trying to make a good movie and failing miserably but it but it it reveals to you the kinds of things that are important in film to accomplish in order to create a good movie to to frame it a little differently it's it's one thing when a cynical cash grab turns out to be a crappy movie yeah as opposed to an earnest attempt to make a good movie turning out to be a letdown when a cynical cash grab turns out to be good, that's the surprise. When an earnest attempt to make a thematic sci-fi movie fails, yeah. that's that's the surprise. And yeah. so, yeah, the, the, like the, the cynical gra- cash grab, like ends up having no value whatsoever and being an entire waste of time. Whereas, yeah, something something with with the best of intentions at least has some kind of value. I, I, I wholly agree, but I also want to circle back something. I was I was not going to repeat myself, and I am not going to repeat myself. I made my case, <laughs> but Scott, you said something when you're like, someone in along the process should have saw where this was going. I feel like that is true for this movie, um, where like someone should have been like, wait, are we not going to resolve the earthquake thing? <laughs> like, th- th- you know, yeah. So I just I I don't I don't, I think that applies to this movie too, but that's neither here nor there. Fair enough. Because we got listener comments. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Uh, whenever we solicit these, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Gives us new perspectives. Gives us uh, something to to engage with you about. Uh, so thank you to those of you who contributed. Robin from Cinematological says a tremendously shot piece of nonsense. It attacks incels, Jordan Peterson, techno-radicalization, with no actual understanding of those topics. Would be far more insidious if the women weren't kidnapped physically, but were trapped as AI approximations that had become self-aware. That is an episode of Black Mirror, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm think- not... I'm I not think joking. it is. It's like a star. It's like a Star Trek one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. And, and I mean, I mean, great. Like, t- tease that out into two hours. Sure, uh, that's also mm-hmm. a good idea, Robin. That's also a good idea. Write that movie is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> At Dima says everyone dies because their internet sucks. <laughs> yeah, what happens if they accidentally get disconnected because the wi- the power goes out or the wireless craps out for a day? <laughs> Yeah, that's- <laughs> yeah, that one made me laugh when I read that. <laughs> that's why you. That's why you make it AR and you have them off in the desert somewhere. There you go. Tack says, "Ah, uh, the classic WTF is going on. One of my favorite tropes slash subgenres. Many of the notes I'm tempted to give are tantamount to stirring a bowl of M and M's to enhance the flavor." <laughs> <laughs> that's a. That is a great metaphor. Wow. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of valid choices would be equally inverted to equally valid choices. Creeping horror is all about style. 
but let's get to noting. Make Alice's mental state more clear and her actions more understandable. The world doesn't have to make sense, but she does. Either stick closer to 50s era culture or make the anachronisms part of the creep factor for Alice. Give us payoffs and setups. Yeah, give us yeah that's what I was saying about the music. The setups, yeah. yeah, give us payoffs to the setups, yeah. That's what I was saying about the music, and I think they, like, tried to hint at it, and it maybe got cut or wasn't fully executed. Um, but, yeah, if there's, like, a modern pop song stuck in her brain that is, like, they can do all the reprogramming they want, but you just, you can't get... You can't fool memory. Yeah, you can't trick a memory. Yeah, and the, and this movie is full of payoffs with no setup and setups with no payoffs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also yeah, that's a great way to phrase it. <laughs> I I also like the uh, comment about how the world doesn't have to make sense, but she does because he's right. There are a couple occasions in the movie where Alice does something for no reason. Like, why does she wrap her head in saran wrap? This damn saran wrap thing. Like, there's. I get, I get that she's feeling trapped. She's subconsciously recognizing that something is wrong, but that action didn't track for me from her previous actions, and it really kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, she she needs to be logical in an illogical world. I I definitely yeah. agree with that. Yeah, it like like I think I might have said this um, off air, but like it, it it there's a lot of like sort of lost style mystery box type things going on. Um, where like the, the event in and of itself is cool and creepy, but yeah, it doesn't really, uh, make a ton, you know, a ton of sense for the character. Not a lot of listener comments for this movie. And there were actually quite a few listeners who chimed in with, I haven't seen this one yet. That seems to have been fairly common. Actually, (laughs) a lot of people either had, like, I had not heard of this film until you guys brought it up. Um, I don't know if it was just that I totally missed the boat on its marketing or if it wasn't well marketed, but I get the impression that this one flew under a lot of people's radars. Yeah, it kind of got a lot more attention because of the things that were swirling around the film. Mm -hmm. For example, while Olivia Wilde was presenting the movie at cons, she was served with um, I think it was custody papers, like right divorce on papers, stage. Yeah, it was a divorce paper. Yeah, might, might have been, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and like, and then there was like, there was like an incident where people were trying to guess whether Harry Styles had spat on Chris Pine during a screening or something like that. Like, oh it's, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. So um, there's like, I, there's a bunch <laughs> of weird stuff that was going on around it. So. There, I can actually, <laughs> I'm glad we didn't spend any time on it, but yeah. I am somewhat versed in the drama that surrounded this movie. So here are the Coles notes. First of all, Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be right. uh, Jack, uh, and then apparently had an affair with Olivia Wilde, which ended her relationship with Jason Sudeikis. Whoops. Um, which I th- I don't think the timeline actually works out, but a letterboxed comment said the best thing about this movie is it gave us Ted Lasso. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think the timeline works, but it's fun to think about. Um, and then Olivia Wilde was like throwing shade at Francis Pugh. Um, I don't think uh, Florence th- this Florence Florence Pugh. What did I say, Francis? Francis, yeah. yeah. Francis. Florence Pugh. Um, I probably said Francis a couple times in the episode. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a bunch of very funny interviews where Chris Pine could not look more checked out and Harry (laughs) Styles is rambling as baby Hollywood guy who doesn't know how to talk to the, the, the camera or talk to the, the interviewers. 
um, where he, he says something like, well, you know, it's just, it's one of those, it's a great movie. It's like a real go to the theater, watch a movie movie. <laughs> and Chris Pine's just like rolling his eyes and like, I want, looks like he wants to kill himself, um, which all culminated in the, did he or did he not spit on her? Um, yeah, there was a bunch of backstage drama. Uh, yeah, the, the big ones being that, that she got served divorce papers at a convention. Uh, Florence Pugh stopped doing promo for it. Francis Pugh. Florence. Florence, I got it right. Okay, now I'm just gaslighting myself. Is this a simulation? Um, she just stopped doing press at one point for it. She's like, I'm just not going to talk to people about this movie. Um, yeah, so there was a, a lot of that. Um, I saw a trailer for it in the theater, so I just knew it was coming out. But yeah, the, the, the a lot of people were like, is this what all the drama was about? This is yeah. what we're like <laughs> spitting on each other for? I... <laughs> I was uh, I was listening to the 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 slash uh, I guess it's not the slash film the the film cast review of uh, Don't Worry Darling and um, one of them had mentioned that they they hope that like uh, Olivia Wilde gets to direct more movies because they felt like she was like it was well made it just wasn't. Uh, uh, like maybe let down by the script, right? And uh, I, like, I think I kind of feel the same. Like, like yeah. I think if I think if she gets to make another movie, I, I'd I'd be interested in seeing what she can put together. Hundred um, percent. Mm-hmm. She she I, again, and I said this right off the top, and I'll I'll bookend this episode with it. It is a technically excellent film. It is good to watch. It's mm-hmm. just the story that it tells. <laughs> Not not all the way there. Not good to think about, <laughs> or or not in the ways it wants you to think about it. Yeah. So. Uh, but I'm done thinking about this movie for a while because it's the end of the episode. Uh, thank you uh, to all of you for listening. You can follow us uh, Facebook.com/slash I have some notes at I have some notes on Twitter at I have some notes pod on Instagram uh, and whatever it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, Apple Google what have you please give us a like a review a subscribe we appreciate it hey so frank has terrible advice for men uh in this film and is a a bad podcast host guy uh but you know who has really good advice for men and is a really good podcast host guy it's herman viegas friend of the show and he has his own show called modern manhood where he interviews guests who offer varied perspectives on masculinity in the modern world and you should definitely check that out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And uh, tune in two weeks when we're going to be joined by uh, the fellows from the Talking Smack podcast, Alex and Josh, uh, for Thor, Love and Thunder. Until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies for Crashing Planes.